It's great to look back, to reflect, to remember the great times and the difficult ones. In the last 10 years, hundreds of lives have been changed. Families have been restored, marriages have been mended, and forgiveness. Forgiveness has been granted. Chains have been broken and true freedom has been experienced. As we remember, we reflect on the loss of those we loved, the joys and the sorrow. We've seen people come and go. Some have lost their way, others have drifted. And all the while, many of us have forgotten why we're here, why we exist, what the Lord requires of us. Reflecting gives us a chance to pause and consider all the Lord has done, all He wants to do. We can learn from our past, remind ourselves of our commitments, and to remember the words of Jesus. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, I don't know about you, but there was some throwback pictures right there. Um, and for those of you that were a part of the crazy venture that we sat out on 10 years ago, you remember uh, some of the humble beginnings that we had here and uh, the ways that the Lord has been so faithful over the years. And as we begin this year, we are going to spend time reflecting and remembering on the things that God has done. And we're going to remind each other of the precedent of God and his word and scripture of what he calls the church to be. And so I uh, hope that you'll take some time. This series is going to be 11 weeks long. It's going to take us up uh, about a handful of weeks before Easter, but I encourage you to come because I think it really sets the stage where not only uh, we have come, but also where we're going. And I just don't want you to miss out on some of the uh, really big decisions that we are making even as a church that lead us in uh, to not just the next decade, but the next 50 or even 100 years uh, for this particular body here. Uh, we're going to jump in to remember in just a few moments. Uh, before we do so, we'd love to just uh, give a couple of updates and a few announcements on both campuses uh, before we dive in. And so the first one uh, probably pertains mostly to the Wills Point campus, but in two weeks from now, January 17th, we are adjusting our service times to 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. And the primary reason why is because we are now offering Stone Point kids in both service options. And so if you have kiddos, you're going to have to wake them up a little bit earlier uh, in order to, to, to get here at the 8.30, but we will open that up two weeks from now. That'll be January 17th. The reason that we are uh, stretching a little bit of time in between services is because we need some time uh, to kind of clean everything in between, and it's going to take us a little time. And so parents, we need your help on a handful of ways. One is we really encourage you, please... Um, take advantage of Stone Point Kids. If you have a fifth grader or under, hey, that time is designed for them and we encourage you to use that. Like it's, they're doing some really meaningful things. The leadership there, I think, uh, is wonderful. It happens to be my spouse. Um, and so uh, they're killing it. And I think it's just gonna continue to get better as we kind of lift some of the parameters that we've had in place. I think we're gonna continue to see that. I encourage you to take advantage of that uh, in both of those services. 
resources, but we do need help in a couple of ways. One is we also need you to help register your kids online. You can do that very simply by going to our homepage. Right there on the homepage, you can register your kids. That's same. That's true for both campuses. And the reason we do that is because it helps us know how many servants we need on our serve team each week. So we staff every classroom with two adults, and we need to know which ones we're opening and which ones we're not. And when we have two or three registrations on one of our campuses in a particular classroom and then 12 kids show up, we don't have enough stuff prepared. We don't have cut stuff cut out. It's just, it really creates a lot of chaos and confusion. And listen, not for our leaders, because I don't have a clue what's going on, but for those that are on our serve teams that are preparing faithfully, when a lot of people show up and we're not expecting it, it's hard to plan. And so one of the ways you can help us plan is just going to register. We know it's inconvenient. We know that you're going to forget. There's grace for that. But the challenge is, is if, if we don't, then we're not knowing how many we can how many spaces to open up and whether or not we should even include another service. And so in Will's Point, opening up January 17th, 8.30, 10.30, Stone Point Kids. There's plenty of room still in Edgewood at the 10.30 service. It does not affect any times in Edgewood, okay? There you go, Edgewood. Parents, help us register your kids. Uh, the second or third thing, uh, there is no fin, feather, and fur this year. Uh, we are super bummed, but unfortunately, we cannot rent the high school facility. And because we have 400 plus men, there is no other option. And so uh, we're going to take the year off. Uh, and so encourage you to uh, eat your meat alone. Uh, starting point. Starting point is how you become a part of our faith family here. If you're here and you would say, hey, I'm interested in becoming a member of this particular body, this fellowship, starting point is the way to do that. Allows you to kind of get out of the starting blocks, make connection not only to God, to others in service in the world, but it also allows you to become a, a, a pivotal part of what God's doing here. If you would like to be a part of starting point, it's happening in a handful of weeks from now on the 24th and the 31st of this month. You can go and register today on events.stonepointchurch com, and uh, you can you can get registered. Encourage you to do that. Cool deal. Last thing is tomorrow morning we're kicking off the Book of Exodus together as a church family. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go uh, to StonePointChurch.com forward slash Exodus. You can see the whole plan, and you can begin reading alongside of us. You go, well, I've got another Bible reading plan. Great, read that plan, but dive a little deeper into Exodus with us. If if you are kind of one of those, you're like, I don't like to be scattered in all areas. I would encourage you to do what your church family is doing. Uh, and so and I think it's helpful for journey groups as you discuss uh, what you're learning in God's word. I think it's really helpful uh, all the way around if we're just beginning to dive in the same thing together. As we ask one another about what we're learning from the scriptures, it's helpful if we all know that it's an exodus. And so I hope that you'll go there, be a part of it. Devotionals are, coming, devotionals are uh, hitting uh, email boxes on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday this week, and it'll all be from chapter one. Uh, I've written the first one, so I think it's worthy of your read on Tuesday morning. Um, if I'm honest with you, uh, we don't see our church taking advantage of the, some of those resources. And so one of the reasons we're imploring you and can do that is that if the majority of our church isn't going to do that, we need to free up our staff time for other resources. And I'm just being candid with you. Uh, right now, about 25% of our audience, out of 600 people signed up for that, about 25% of those are opening and reading it and using it. And so if we're not, hey, we just need to know so we can do something different with our time to spur our body on, okay? Um, and so I encourage you to do that uh, because we think it really is meaningful. Cool? 
Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Um, maybe uh, you felt like that was some family talk. Hey, we're going to hop, hop into more family talk. And if you're a guest today, uh, we pray that you'll know that this family is one that you could be a part of. Um, and we pray that you see how we handle family business. And so let's pray together as we remember all that God has done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word and your kindness towards us. Lord, we were yet sinners and you sent your son Jesus, the Christ, to die in our place. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration and you are worthy of our commitment to you. And so Lord, would you help us to go all in in our walk with you? Would you help us to to see what it looks like to be a part of your faith family and to love you and, and to be faithful to you? Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a second ago, I alluded to the fact that 10 years ago, almost to the day, we were gathering a group of, uh, of members of this body and we were preparing them to launch services, uh, which April of this year will be 10 years. Um, the very first service that we did was a little kind of a launch thing that we did in February, and then we did another one in March, and then we did another one in April. Uh, the, the last uh, launch service we had, we had about 125, 150 people. We finally launched uh, in April of, of that year, which was the 17th, and we had 189 people show up. The following week, we launched uh, the, the second week in a row uh, was Easter Sunday. We had 252 people show up, and listen, our church has never slowed down since. It just continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. And from that day forward, here's what we did. We did everything we could to put the pieces together so the thing didn't fall apart. We were understaffed. Um, for, for the first three years, we had one full-time staff, and that was me. We had another guy that was willing to put in a ton of time, and his name was Dick Patterson, who's now our Edgewood campus pastor, but he wasn't even fully paid until about year four. Uh, what's crazy is, is like God has brought a ton of people, but we didn't, we didn't have the, the capacity to really equip and grow people and do some of the things we could have. And now here it is, we look at year 10 and we look back and we go, man, there are so many things that we are grateful for. All the lives that have been changed. 400 plus people have come to faith in Christ since the last 10 years. Amen. That's worth celebrating. That's 400 baptisms uh, in multiple celebrations across the years. Um, it's awesome to see all the life change. I can look across the room and I can see marriages that have been restored and healed. Uh, I can see lots of people that are here today because of the things that we've walked through together. I see lots of lots of people who were once walking in darkness and now walk in light. And it's a beautiful picture of what God has done. But as we also look back over the last 10 years, I can look at the mistakes that we've made. I've made as a pastor, as a, as a staff leader um, here in our local church. I can look at ways that people have drifted in their walk with, the, with Christ and, and the local church. I can look across, and I think all of us could say that there are times that we have ebbs and flows, highs and lows, good times, bad times, uh, things that were really beautiful and things that were pretty ugly. Uh, but the reality is, is that that really is what the local church is about. But I'll tell you, over the last nine months, um, I would say even as we approach year 10, the church in some ways is not looking near as beautiful to pastors across the nation. Barna recently did a, sur uh, a survey, and here's what we've, we've come to know as a result of the pandemic. 14% um, uh, of church members in the last nine months across the nation um, have actually left their church to, to go to another one. So about 15% almost of church families have just switched places. They've gone to other places. Um, 31 to 32%, one-third of all church people that were going to church last year have disconnected from the American church completely. 
That means in the last nine months, they have not viewed a single online service. It means they have not come back in person. They, they stopped going to their community small groups. They basically just threw their hands up and said, this is a good time for us either to connect with our family or for us to, to kind of double down on the workplace or whatever. But what we see is one third of the American church has basically gone missing. And we don't know exactly why other than they just have which is crazy. So now if you take the statistics I've just given you, 14% and 32%, and you combine that, my math is 46%, almost one half of the church that you were a part of last year is no longer there. Now the remaining part that is still there would admit, the 18% that is still there would admit that every week they are streaming other churches. So it seems like in some ways there's still kind of a flip-flop capacity in our mind. Like we're not sure where we're settling. We're not sure where our faith family really is. Yeah, we might be attending somewhere, but our hearts, our minds might be kind of moving somewhere else. And the crazy thing is among those that are still streaming right now, okay, that means they haven't gone back to in-person services like we've been blessed to, 48% of those church families have not seen their people in in one month online in any way. It means basically the American church is crippling, that it's in trouble, that there's some alarming things happening. And here's the deal. You would say, well, it sounds like the church is broken. And I would say... Yes, but it's always been broken. And I think that's what I want you to remind yourself of. The church has always been broken. We've always been messed up. We've never had to gather. As I look back and I reflect over the last 10 years, I would be the first to tell you that our church is not perfect. That, that there have been, been things that we, we would do differently. That there have been decisions that we made that in humility we would love to own. And there, there's been things that, that we have to kind of look back and reflect on and go, hey, we haven't always done it right. I will tell you, there's probably even some things that if we're not careful of, we could almost sound like we were making excuses because of the high rate of growth and the lack of the ability to equip people. But what we see now is, is that that we also know that there's kind of a time and a season in our church now where we're at a good place where we can decide what the future looks like. And we have been diligently working, even before COVID hit, to really structure and figure out what the church here in this local body looks like. And I think we're heading in a great direction. But in order for us to get there, we have to remember what not just we've been and what God requires of us, but also really what the church is. And here's what you need to understand first and foremost, that as we walk through the next 11 weeks together, that you need to know that the church, everything we talk about it is God's idea. All of it is God's idea. It wasn't something that we brainstormed a handful of years ago. It wasn't, oh, we got together in a room and said, hey, all these other churches have it wrong. And we finally figured out the secret sauce, kind of like Cain's does. Uh, we don't have a secret sauce. There, there's, not a, there's not something we figured out that nobody else has. What we basically said is, is we want to be a church that exists to reach people who've left the church. So they were de-churched. So we set out originally to reach people who, when they were 16, they got their driver's license and a girlfriend and they never came back to the church. We also wanted to set out to people who, when they were growing up, they heard about Jesus, they heard about him dying on the cross, but they didn't grow up in church. The meaning they didn't know that there was a faith family they could be connected to. We would call them unchurched and dechurched people. That's why we set out. And when we did it, we said, hey, we're gonna put all of our eggs in that basket and we're gonna do everything we can to create a place that's safe for people to come and meet 
Know and follow Jesus. Some cases we've done really well in that, and other places we've faltered. But all of it was based off of God's word. From the, the, the requirements that we had of what we think a, a member of the body looks like, to what it looks like to faithfully serve here, to, to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, all of it came from God's word. And so what I want you to realize is that we unpack all this, it is God's idea. It wasn't Brandon's idea. It wasn't a group of uh, 13 people's idea. It, it wasn't our launch team's idea. It was God's idea. This is his church. And I want you to know that. But when I think about the church, I think of it like a marriage. When you think about a marriage, what you think of is two people leaving their father and mother and clinging together, cleaving as one flesh. That's what we see in the, the picture in Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25. God said, hey, it's not good that man live alone. He created a suitable helper for him. And Eve, uh, Adam and Eve then leave their father and mother and they, what, cling together as one flesh. Now, they didn't have a father and mother. They leave their heavenly father, but they are the grand design of what marriage should be about. Now, the question is, is when you think about marriage and you have people leaving together, what are they doing? They are in a covenant relationship together. Make sense? What they do is they say, hey, we're going to live together. And then not only are they living in covenant relationship, but they realize that the binding agreement goes beyond ink. It's not about a marriage certificate down at the courthouse. It's not about a ceremony. What it is is about two people yoking themselves together in commitment and in covenant relationship together before God and before man of saying this is the relationship that I'm going to have. Friends, the church is likened to marriage. What you have in a church is people who were blood-bought by Christ to be part of the body of Christ. We are in a covenant relationship with him, which means that the church should be a serious thing. For instance, if you were to get married and you were to go in a covenant relationship, which is supposed to be between a man and a woman and lifelong commitment until death do his part, Jesus was very clear about it in Matthew chapter 19, uh, that he says, hey, what man is joined together, or uh, what God is joined together, let man not separate. When you see that relationship, the question is, is, is it okay in our culture to be married in covenant relationship with God but then also date other people? And the answer is like, no, like that's not okay, right? It wouldn't be okay with your spouse. Uh, it, it wouldn't be okay really even in our society. Although sometimes we see people doing things that are crazy like that, right? But the, the challenge is, is that you, you wouldn't. Now, let me ask you another question. What if you were to enter into covenant relationship with your spouse and you said, hey, I love you. I wanna live with you forever, but I've only got an hour for you a week. Like all I've got is one hour. You figure out the hour and I'll make it happen. And that hour a week, we can talk or we can listen or we can do whatever we need to do in that hour. But all you got, man, how is that gonna go over with your bride? Not very well, right? Because we're not designed in covenant relationship to live together for an hour a week. We're not designed to date other people. The same, what God desires is all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. What he wants is all of us. Not some of us, not a limited portion of us, not certain times that we set aside for him. He wants all of us. And that's really what he's likened the church to be about. Just as a covenant in marriage is, is important, so it is our covenant with God because he's made us the bride of Christ. We see a famous passage in Ephesians chapter five where you see this outlined in verses 25 and 33. I wanna read them to you. It starts out and it says, "'Husbands, love your wives.'" 
as Christ loved the church. Now, what great, great news for you. Husbands, if you have one goal in 2021, it should be to love your wives. As Christ loved the church, as he gave himself up for her. So Christ died for the church. He, he gave himself, he was selfless for the church. He goes, that's what Christ has done for the church. That's what husbands are to do for their wives. But then he goes on and it says, and he gave himself, meaning Christ for her, the church, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. What we see here is that God created the church to live in covenant relationship with him. That because he purchased us with his blood, bought us with a price, we're not our own, as Paul writes to the church of Corinth, he goes, you and I are in a relationship with God and his desire is to make us without spot or blemish that we would be presented before God as blameless, as holy as his people. That's what he's done for the local church. Paul goes on in verse 28 and he says, in the same way, husbands, you should love, uh, uh, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes, nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Do you see what he says there? We are a part of his church. Then he gives this imagery of Genesis chapter two, verse 24, where he quotes, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He goes, it's similar with the church. Matter of fact, he continues and he says, this mystery is profound. What's the mystery that's profound? The mystery is profound that God has created a covenant relationship with his people. And then he says, and I'm not talking about marriage. He goes, I'm actually talking about the church. He goes, I'm referring to Christ and his church. Do you see what he's talking about? He goes, we are in a covenant relationship with him. And then he goes on, he goes, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. But what he does here is he likens the church to a relationship with Jesus, which I want you to understand is God's idea. Now, when we think about truth, we think about what truth is. Now, truth is not relative, meaning that you and I get to decide our own version of truth. That's the culture problem that we have right now. The culture problem is there are people that are in some ways reshaping what they believe truth is. But we know, John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So that means he, truth, is a person. It's found in the logos, the word of God. He is truth. And we know that certain things have already been defined. Marriage is one of those. It's a, between a man and a woman, covenant relationship meant to last for a lifetime. We agree with that. That's what the, that's what the traditional church would say. We think about even life, unborn lives that matter. We talk about what it looks like to, to live in a womb and to, to have a chance at life, to be fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. When we think about that, the question is, is who gets the right to define life? Do, do we allow people, women, to control their own bodies? Uh, the church traditionally has said no. Like we think that life is important. And so that's why the church has been very adamant about things like abortion. Uh, let's talk about just sexuality. Right now, that's a big topic in our culture. Um, do we have the, the right to define our gender? In creation, we came out as male or female, pretty clear. Do we have a right as a culture to, to redefine that? 
And where we're struggling right now as a culture is we, we are saying, hey, whatever we think is relative to us, what we feel, what we think is right, we can define. And we've done it over marriage. We've done it over abortion. We've done it over gender uh, unions. And what we've, in a sense, we've struggled to do is that in the culture is choose relativism. And for a lot of us in the room, we go, and that's a problem. And we would make an adamant stand on that. But can I just real quickly point out some hypocrisy? One of the biggest hypocrisies, I think, in the American church, and I think this is why the church is in such trouble, is because we will take such clear stances on certain aspects of the scriptures and not on others. And can I, here's the biggest one. Church membership was not my idea. It was God's. What he believes and calls people to in a covenant binding relationship with God himself is for you to be a fully equipped member of the household of God doing your part. Where I think in some ways we have a hypocrisy in the American culture is the fact that there are so many people that would claim to be of the household of God, but they do not see the church as a binding covenant relationship between them and their heavenly father. They see it as something they can pick and choose and take. It's the same thing that the culture chooses on a myriad of other issues. But isn't it kind of challenging when people who we claim to be Christians and Christ followers, they don't even know what the Bible says about their own walk with the Lord. And yet we spend our time pointing out where everyone else seems to be missing it. What I would say is one of the challenges in the American church is that there are people who are leaving the churches in droves right now in the midst of a pandemic. And the reason why is because they don't even know what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We don't even understand what it looks like to really know and love and serve the Lord and to be a part of the bride of Christ which is the great challenge that we have in our culture. We have people who are calling out others and we have a log in our own eyes. Listen, the church is God's idea and we have to decide whether or not the church is going to be meaningful to us. And what I mean by that is that in the course of the next 11 weeks, we are calling everyone in this room to something. And here's what we're calling you to, to membership in the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, I, I, I don't see if God's idea is the local church, how you can get around a meaningful relationship with him through the local church. It is almost implied by the words of all the gospel writers and the New Testament writers as the church is born. I am imploring you that I think the thing for all of us to do is to commit to a faith family of God, which is point number two. The church is a family of God. It is, whether you, you like it, whether you agree with it or not, whatever. You can even say, oh, who, dude, aren't you so clever? You're setting up the stage. That's what good gospel teachers do. You, you're right, I'm setting up the stage. I'm setting up the stage to help you understand that God has called us to more than what we've lived in the last 10 years. Has God done great things here? Yes. Are we grateful? Yes. But is there more? Yes. And there's a lot of us in here, we go, well, where is the more? And I would say the more is in your faithful walk with Jesus every single day, that you would live out what the gospel is calling you to do and that you would be a part of God's family, which is the local church. And he's defined it for us. The church is simply a people. They're called the ecclesia. 
144 times you see them in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, is a people that have been radically called out of darkness into light. They were once sinners, they were ashamed, they were hidden in the dark, and God brought them into a new life with Christ. As a result of that, the implied thing is that they are now a part of the body of Christ. That's just a natural progression. They are a part of the family of God. They're a part of the flock. They are the branches to a great vine. They are a part of the sheepfold. They are the spiritual house of God, maybe referred to us as the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of a holy and a righteous God. His spirit lives in us. We are the harvest of God. We are the priesthood of God. We are the chosen people of God. We are no longer to walk in the futility of our old ways. We are to walk in the newness of life. We are new creations. You can see tons and tons and tons of imagery, but the implied point is that Christ died for you with his blood. He's calling you to be a part of his faith family. Now we have the chance to see that locally, even in the New Testament. The point is though, you cannot be a gospel centered believer and say, I don't need the local church. That would be like a husband saying, I don't need my wife. Or it'd be like a husband saying to his buddy, hey, I love you, but I can't stand your bride. That wouldn't go over well, right? And the reason why is because that's not the way the gospel has been set up. And so here's the deal. What you need to know is that we are a part of the family of God. Now here's The thing, the family of God has a head and the head is not your local pastor. It's not me. And so I want to point you to the person who is the grand designer of the local body in whom he says he is the head and we are its members, its fixtures, its parts. His name is Jesus. Look what Colossians 1.18 says about him. And he, meaning Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What that tells us is that God is in charge of the church. And it reminds us that it's his way, not our own. Why? Because he created all things, including the church, and he died for the church through the blood of the cross, which means that we probably need to pay attention to the leader of the church, the head of the body. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And he, meaning God, put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the body, which here's the deal. If we're a part of the family of God and we have the head of the body, which is Christ, that means that there is good news and challenging news for all of us in this room. Y'all want the good news or the challenging news first? Okay, this is going to throw them off up top, okay? But I'll give it to you. The challenging news first. I'll give you the challenging news. If we're going to go with the challenging news, here's what you need to know. Because we are a part of the family of God, there are expectations for the members of each family. Isn't that true of our own families? Paul writes to Timothy, uh, the, his child in the faith, and this is what he says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that you would know, if I delay, that you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. He goes, I'm writing to you so that you would know what it looks like for a person to be a part of the family of God to be a member of the household and how you would conduct yourself as a pillar of truth. In a society that truth is relative, he goes, 
who's going to take a stand? He goes, surely it's the church. Now, the question is, is why is that challenging? And here's why it's challenging. God is calling us to be a part of his faith family. And as a part of his faith family, we are commissioned to live in a manner in which we've been called, worthy of the gospel. Colossians 1.10 says, We are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul writes something similar in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Philippians 1, 27, and 1 Thessalonians 2 through 12. What he's saying is, he goes, believers in God that have been yoked in Christ's family by the purchase and the ransom of his blood on the cross, he goes, they conduct themselves differently because they're a part of the family of God. Which means that we conduct ourselves differently when we go and we deal with our children's teachers at school. We conduct ourselves differently at ball games. We conduct ourselves differently on Facebook. We conduct ourselves differently at city council meetings. We conduct ourselves differently in the workplace. There is something marking us differently. We walk in a manner worthy in which we've been called, which is one of my greatest prayers every day. Lord, would you help me to walk in a manner in which I have been called? And the reason why is because when we are a part of the family of God, walking in a manner in which we've been called, conducting ourselves in a right way, it makes the bride of Christ beautiful, which is our goal. Guys, the goal of as a husband is to make my wife beautiful. It is to sanctify her, is to help her grow in her walk with Jesus. That is my primary role on the planet outside of being a member of God's faith family. It is to love my wife, to shepherd my wife, to care for my wife, to make her look beautiful. You want to fight with, with a young man on the playground? Talk about his mama, right? You don't talk about mama because she's the bride of the family. She's the one who in some ways is a pillar and a buttress of the truth in the faith family. That's the bride of Christ. How do we make the bride of Christ look beautiful? We know who she is. And we understand what it is that God has called her to be. Guys, how do we trash the bride? When we, when we make a mockery of the local church. When we don't live according to the ways of God. We, we trash the bride of Christ. We make the bride of Christ with a stain. It's no longer spotless or without blemish, which is why Christ died, right? And so we've got to be careful because if we're not careful, we'll corrupt the church. You know another way we do it? We do it by gossiping and slandering about our own church, our own faith family, which is the crazy thing is, is when you think about families, you think about how blood is thicker than water. And you think about what is offered in a faith family or in your own local family is the same thing that should it be in a faith family. We should make the bride of Christ look beautiful. Is the bride of Christ ugly at times? Yes, but we shouldn't contribute to that. Is the bride of Christ messed up? Absolutely. But even in the midst of all the blemishes and all the marks, we are to protect the families of faith that we are part of. We should protect its members. How do we do that? We care for one another. We love one another. Matter of fact, we practice all the one another's of Scripture, which I'll just give you a handful. Uh, we are commissioned in Mark 9, 50 to live at peace with one another. In John chapter 13, in myriad of places, as well as 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, we are to love one another. Romans 12, 10, we are to be devoted to one another. Uh, Romans 12, 10, we are to give preference to one another. Uh, Romans um, 15, 7, we are to accept one another just as Christ accepted us. Why? Because we are a part of the faith family. Not because we have everything in common, but we have Christ in common. We are to have equal concern for one another, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. We are to serve one another in love, Galatians 5, 13. We are to carry each other's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. We are to be patient, 
bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. In Ephesians 4.32, we're to be compassionate to one another. In Ephesians 4.32, we're to forgive one another. Why? Because that's what families do. Ephesians 5.21, we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, not submitting to one another just because it's easy, but because we revere Christ. We, we think the bride's beautiful. Colossians 3.13, we're to bear with one another. Colossians 3.16, we're to teach one another. Colossians 3.16, we're to admonish and gently correct one another. We are to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, we're to build each other up. We're to spur each other on. Hebrews 10.24. I could go on and on and on and on about the one another's of Scripture. That's what families do. Families are committed to one another and we encourage one another and we build one another up. Friends, we protect the family. Which is crazy because how do you protect a family when you don't even call a family a family? If you wouldn't call this your faith family, then who it is that you're gonna protect? And what keeps you from leaving this family to go to another family? Families also share the good news. Why? Because you once were not in the family. You realize that? Once you were alienated, estranged, and far from God, and he brought you into the family. So what we do is share the good news of our family. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. We ought to be ready to share the good news. What is the good news? The good news is that our church exists, was created, and established by our heavenly father, the head of all of it for broken people. Luke 19.10 says that Jesus' primary, primary mission on earth was to come as the son of man to seek and to save that which was lost. That is our primary mission today, is to continue to create a safe place where people who are far from God can be brought into the faith family of God. Amen. That's why we're here. It only happens when we share the good news and also when we contribute to the family. Now I'm gonna give you an analogy that I think a lot of parents could resonate with. I just went around my house this morning. Um, we've been harping on our kids the last 10 days as we kind of lived in quarantine together about cleaning things up. And so it's like every day you're talking about contributing to the family. Uh, just this morning, I walked around and found a Bucky's cup. Uh, I emptied it out for them, but it had red Gatorade in it. Um, I found a sketch pad left out on the table with tons of markers. I chose not to bring all of them with me. Um, hairbrush. Everybody needs one of those. I picked that up this morning. Uh, this was left over from the Aggies win yesterday. It was out on the draped over the couch. Picked that up. Uh, Flip-flop. I just chose one of the two that was left behind the couch. Um, sweatshirt draped there uh, in the living room. Left over from a long night last night as well, apparently. Coke Zero, I just chose one of the myriad of things that were left out by our kids, whether it be in their room or the garage or wherever else they choose to drink. I poured out half of it because the other half was, what, wasted, right? And of course, everybody needs a good beanie. I uh, picked that up this morning as well. And listen, I didn't go to their rooms. This was just kind of in our main living areas. Now, any parents, you go like, I, I feel your pain. Go ahead, raise your hand on both campuses. Yes, and here's the deal, listen. Hey, like it doesn't matter how many times you have the talk. It's like, hey, listen, I want you to contribute to our family. Even as we're sharing this illustration, I was got permission from our kids this morning to share it uh, on our way here. Um, I like, hey, what would make it easier? And they said it would make it easier if we all contributed to the family. And I go, absolutely. And can I just tell you that that's true of the local church? The reason we're a part of the family and why membership matters. It's because God's created the family to do their part. Can I just tell you, I don't, I don't know that we do that real well here. 
Is it something we've agreed to? Absolutely. But do we do it well? I'm not sure. Galatians 6 encourages us to live and bear one another's burdens. But in 6.5, it also says that we should bear our own load. Friends, if we are part of the family of God, there is a load to bear. And we should be bearing it. But can I just tell you the good news? That even if you're struggling with the local church, here's what you need to understand is that there is good news. And here's the good news is that we have a perfect leader. Got me? His name is Jesus. Listen, you might be looking at the local church today. You might be here scoping out another one because you're frustrated with the one that you've been at. Uh, Can I just tell you real quickly that the leader is the same and throughout the global church, his name's Jesus. He's never failed. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he has never sinned. And listen, the problem with the local church is not our leader, it's his followers. And can I just tell you that all of his followers mess up, including me as a part of the faith family, As a part of the faith family, I don't have it together. Matter of fact, the closer you get to me, the more you're gonna see that I'm a mess. That's just true. Uh, The more that you hang out with me, the more that you're gonna see my fatal flaws, the more that you're gonna see the things I'm prone to sin, the ways that I'm uh, easily uh, deceived. You're gonna see that, that's true in me and it's true in you. The closer we get to one another, the more we're gonna be disgruntled, the more we're gonna have to have forgiveness, the more we're gonna have to be reminded of why we're a part of a covenant faith family why we need forgiveness, why we continue to restore one another, why we would admonish one another. The reason I have people in my life that love me in spite of who I am is so they can gently instruct me that, hey, you're off course and you need to correct. And that's a part of the faith family. But listen, the closer you get to me, the more disgruntled you'll be. But the closer you get to Jesus, the more you can come and see that he is good and faithful and he will not let you down, which is our only hope in the church, which is, Why you need to understand that because we have a perfect leader, uh, we also have a perfect mission. What we're doing is God's plan. It is God's mission. It won't be thwarted. We're not gonna mess it up. Coronavirus is gonna mess it up. The American government, new presidents or old presidents, none of them are gonna mess it up. A vaccine's not gonna mess it up. None of the things that you and I contend to be focused on in some ways are gonna mess up God's plan. Like his plan is the only plan, which is the local church being who God called him to us to be. It is the only place that God will use to reach a lost world and it will not be thwarted. The enemy cannot overcome it. Matthew 16, verse 18 is some of the greatest words that we will have in our history. And that is when Jesus tells Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is good news. You and I aren't gonna mess it up. You and I are not gonna thwart his plan. The church still exists today um, to give glory to God, to... uh, grow people in their walk with Jesus and to evangelize a lost world to help them know to be a part of the faith family. In essence, everything we do is upward, inward, and outward. We give praise to God, we equip the saints, and then we go out and we tell others about the faith family they should be a part of. That's why we exist, which means if we're part of a faith family, we're not alone. You got me? That means that when we hit hard times, there are other people that will bear burdens with us, that we don't have to live alone, that Ephesians 2.19 reminds us that you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Do you understand what it says? You are fellow citizens. You are ambassadors. We are brothers and sisters. We are members of the family of God. Now, can I tell you that when we have family talks like this, do you know what we're prone to do? When I go, hey, listen, You're not picking up your flip-flops. You didn't pick up your beanie. Hey, this is the third day I've asked you to pick up your brush. 
when we have family conversations, you know what we're prone to do? We're prone to get offensive. We're prone to say, you know what? I, that's n- not my fault. And we don't own our part. And here's what we do. You, you know what we do? We say, you know what? I'm going to go find another faith family. Your kids ever th- threaten to run away? And the reason why is because they truly believe that if they were to left, you leave your family, they're going to go find another family that has it more together than your family. Right? <laughs> that's what we would call delusion. <laughs> and listen, it's permeated through the American church culture. And I'm going to spend a couple of extra minutes and I'm going to go long, but I need you to hear this. Ten years ago, God established something in my heart that this was my faith family. And I am in covenant relationship with this church. It's not always pretty. It's not always been easy. It's been hard. I've been hurt. There are people in this community that are not a part of our body that used to be, and it hurts me. There are people that were thriving parts of this body that have moved and gone on to thrive in other places, and they have blessed faith families. There are people who have gone on to love the Lord uh, and see Him in a new way because they're no longer here. And, And I am grieved by that, though I celebrate for them. Listen, it has not always been easy, but listen, I believe that you're my family. I believe that this place is worth dying for. Perhaps maybe one of the ugliest counties in Texas. This is where God has called me to settle. I believe in all the things that we complain about, whether it be our roads or um, our lack of uh, things that you know, our tax dollars don't bring us, whatever. I-, I can get sucked into that stuff. But here's the deal. This is my home. And one of the questions that people ask me all the time is, hey, when, when, when do you think you're going to leave? Because listen, can I tell you the American church culture is simply this. Build a resume, submit it, and go find you a mega church. And listen, I want you to understand that I'm not even tempted in the least to do that. And it has nothing to do with my qualifications. It has simply to do that this is where God's called me. And until he frees me, I'm in covenant relationship with you. And what I'm asking is, is that you would be in covenant relationship with me. I struggle to believe that people that are part of the bride of Christ just one day go missing. And when I text to check on them, they're at another church. That would be like my wife leaving and never telling me that there was a problem. It's not fair. It's not okay. And the reason why is because this is God's blood-bought Christ-filled church. Not because we have it together and not that you shouldn't leave but because Christ's church is worth more than what we've made it. And over the next 11 weeks, I'm going to unpack that. And I'm going to remind you what the church is. And I'm going to call you to big things. And listen, I want you to understand that if we get to the end of our days and we would decide that the direction that our family here is going is not the direction that you believe you should go as a family, and you say, hey, I can't yoke myself to that anymore, then hey, okay, Great, go and yoke yourself somewhere where you'll be a committed member of the body of Christ and you'll fulfill God's given commission in your life and we will bless you to go to new levels in your faith and to soar in ways that you never could hear. And so if we're the ones holding you back, we wanna set you free. But if we are going to commit together, we need to remember. And the remember part is we need to commit to be all that God's called us to be. 
10 years ago, I signed this document. And this is what I committed to. And my commitment hasn't wavered and it hasn't changed. It's not been easy. It's not always been fun. Certainly not ever convenient. But I committed to be a part of this body of Christ here in the local expression of faith at Stone Point. And I said, I will love others well. Um, I will know God and I will read his word daily. That's something I committed to through my membership commitment. I will refuse to gossip. It means I'll keep short accounts and I'll go to people when I have a problem. I will follow the church's leaders. Even at this point, I'm submitting myself as we move forward to other leaders in our faith family. I'm praying for its growth. I'm inviting unchurched people to attend. I will warmly welcome those who visit. I recently read something um, that said Stone Point seemed to have a great atmosphere. While I was there, members talked to one another. Nobody talked to me. That's on me. That's on me. I said that I would be equipped by my pastors. I said that I would commit to at least one area of ministry and I would serve diligently there, wherever it would be. I said that I would support the testimony of my church by faithfully attending week in and week out, that I wouldn't be the American church that attends once every four to six weeks, that I would attend faithfully. I said that I would join a journey group or a commitment of a small group. I said that I would give regularly of my money to support the local body. And I agreed that every couple of years, I would reassess my commitment to this, this faith family and I would re-up if I felt like this is where God had me. That was the very first class we ever did and it's never changed. But I need to remind you that this isn't about me. This is about God being made famous. And, and friends, if we're not on the same page there, that's okay. But one of the things I can't do is stand by and say that the pandemic is running, running the rampant in the local church and it's ruining it. Listen, it has nothing to do with the pandemic. It has to do with apathetic people who claim one thing with their mouth and do a whole other thing with their lives. It's called duplicity. And it runs rampant, not just in our community, not in our faith family, but across the world. And it's just time for church leaders to stand up and say, hey, we can't say that we're married to the bride of Christ anymore and then not act like his bride, right? It's like diminishing marriage, which we mostly have a problem with. So may the Lord help us and may the Lord help you. What am I calling you to? I'm calling you to be a fully devoted follower of Christ and a member of his body. If you're here, I'm asking you to recommit to that over the course of the next 11 weeks. If you're here and you're like, I'm not a member, I'm calling you to be one because I believe that that's what the Lord desires of his body. I see that in the scriptures. And so may the Lord help us. It is by the help of our God that we have any chance. And so may we pray together before we're dismissed. Father in heaven, I love you and I thank you for my friends here. I thank you, Lord for a chance to share my heart with my friends. I thank you, Lord, that your word resonates. I thank you, Lord, that the only chance we have at being a meaningful congregation and a local body that makes a difference in this community, in the community of Edgewood and across this county, is when people yoke themselves to the great leader, which is Jesus Christ. Lord, if it's another leader here that you need, God, I will get out of the way. But Lord, I don't want to stand by and see this faith family not be all that it's called to be. So Lord, would you help us? Give us clarity as we move forward. Help us to be what you've called us to be. Lord, I think the best days are ahead. 
simply because of the promise you have in Matthew chapter 16, which is the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Lord, you are alive and well. You are on your throne. You are the leader. And I pray that in a world of chaos, we will set our eyes and fix ourselves on you in all things. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you. Would you help us to be devoted to the family of God? Amen.